0: Well, good morning. Good morning. (laughs) I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning live, 10 a.m. on Facebook Live. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. I'm excited to... uh, for us to take that step forward together in the month of June, not only having these discovery courses to help you get plugged in and grow deeper in your faith, but also these watch uh, gatherings on the four Sundays in June should be a great chance for some of us who are feeling a little more comfortable. Certainly we'll take the right precautions, but who are sort of eager to be back together to uh, watch this Facebook live together. We, we I'm excited for that and uh, hope you are too. Hope those spots last. We will see. The other thing I'm excited about, and just want to take a moment to say, is uh, you should have gotten a note from us about a number of new summer staff and year-long residents beginning uh, tomorrow. That also means that today is the end of Landry Taylor's residency. Landry has been a resident with us for two years. He's over there in the corner. You don't have to trust me. He's waving at He's you. He's waving at you. He's not been put in the corner. He's just <laughs> waiting there to get to play music again. Uh, but uh, Landry, on behalf of all of us, we just thank you for your two years Woo! of service as a resident. <laughs> it's been a real a real treat. We have a card for you here, which we'll have to come get it. have to uh, here. Come come retrieve your card and wave it, everybody. Yeah, show show the people your face. We worked on this segment ahead of time, as you you can tell right now. Here you go. There's Landry. Got to come in a little further to the screen here. Here's Landry. He got his card. Yay. Thank you, Landry. <laughs> Give him some love when you see him. Yes, when you see Landry around town, tell him thank you for serving us so well over these past two years. Well, today we continue our series of sermons on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the way I want to get into that is to remind you something you already know which is that there are boring parts of life and there are fun parts of life, right? There's boring parts of life, like brushing your teeth, paying your taxes, these sort of things. There's also fun parts of life, like laughing with your friends and going on vacation. But imagine what would happen if at one point you said, I'm so tired of the boring parts of life, I'm only going to do the fun parts of life. What you will discover is that if you don't brush your teeth, it's going to be harder to laugh with friends, you're going to discover that if you don't pay your taxes, it may be really hard to go on vacation, except for the one hour you get to go out in the uh, you know, the outdoor area the of the prison. Yeah, the yard. That's what. Of course, Matt would know that. It's, it's called the yard. The fun parts of life and the boring parts of life need each other. They work well together. And though we may get more caught up on the fun parts of life, we also enjoy them because we do some of the boring parts of life. that will relate today as we look back at this passage that Ryland read for us earlier. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Say it with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we're talking about the fruit of God the Holy Spirit, that when you become a Christian, or if today or in the future you ever become a Christian, when that happens, Jesus sends God the Holy Spirit into your life. And God the Holy Spirit empowers you with a dynamite-like power. That's the, the Greek word for power is dunamos, from which we get dynamite. So the Spirit gives us a dynamite-like power. Power. Last week we had a great Q&A question about finding rest. And one of the ways that we find rest is leaning into the Spirit's power. Not trying to do everything by our own power, but leaning into the dynamite-like power of God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit begins to redirect the purpose of our lives. He begins to redirect us to be a witness for Jesus, an ambassador for Jesus, a minister for Jesus. To live a life that points people towards God. One of the chief ways that the Holy Spirit does this is by transforming our character, transforming us to have a more Jesus Christ-like character. And that's what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, that cultivation of a more Jesus Christ-like character. So cultivating fruit in our lives implies that there's a partnership here, that God the Holy Spirit has a part and that you and I have a part. It's not an equal partnership, but we both have a part to play this is different than receiving God's forgiveness or being reconciled to God. That's a gift from God. It's not a partnership. It's a one-way gift from God that we receive. But once we receive the gift and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into our lives, then the partnership truly begins cultivating this more Jesus Christ-like character. So today we want to look at two things listed in the fruit of the Spirit. We want to look at faithfulness and self-control. Faithfulness and and self-control. You might realize that next week's topic is going to be goodness, because that's the one we haven't hit yet. And then we'll do a wrap-up week after that. The fruit of the spirit starts with things like love and joy and peace, and who doesn't want more of those? That's like laughing with friends. That's like a vacation. And then the list ends with things like faithfulness and self-control. Those may not be the most uh, appealing on the list, right? It's rare to see someone walking around with a shirt on that says faithfulness. You know, the hashtag self-control wins has not really caught on. But what what we're going to see is that these things work together. The front part of the list, the back part of the list, they work well together. We know the absence of faithfulness. We know the absence of self-control. We've seen that in our own lives. We've seen it in the lives of others. Proverbs 25, 28 says that like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. In in the ancient days, the the walls of a city were were its defense. In other words, without self-control, you and I are defenseless. Anything that comes our way is going to get what it wants because we have no defense against it. And we have no defense against even ourselves, against our worst ideas and our worst inclinations and our most rash decisions and our seeking of revenge. You're familiar with the old expression, I'm my own worst enemy. That's often true. We are often our own worst enemy. And we need to be protected. We need defense against our worst enemy, which is often ourselves. So we know self-control in its absence. It becomes very hard to depend on people who lack self-control. And that's true of faithfulness too. It becomes very hard to depend on people who who can't be counted on except when things are easy. The folks will be with with us through thick, but not so much through thin. They'll stay with us through joys, but maybe not so much through, through sorrows. When things get tough, we just move on to the next fun thing. That's actually part of the history of Lake Forest Davidson. When we started our church in 2011, uh, we had a 50-person launch team that really got it, got it going. And uh, I've told this story uh, before uh, as sort of a, an illustration, but the first person who joined our launch team and is a very dear person and who I always enjoy seeing because uh, I run into him a lot. Uh, but the very first person who joined our launch team was actually the very first person to leave our launch team when it wasn't exactly what he had hoped it would be. And, and again, that, that, that's just an example of, I, I could think of examples in my own life too, where faithfulness makes us more dependable, being with us through thick and through thin. And so I want to look at what is faithfulness? What is self-control? And how do we begin to cultivate it in our lives? So how do we define faithfulness? I would define faithfulness as being reliably true to your word. Faithfulness is being reliably true to your word. It is the courage to be loyal to the commitments you have made. Being loyal to the commitments you've made. This is different than being opportunistic and always jumping to the next thing, leaving behind the commitments that you have made. Faithfulness is to be reliably true to your word. And self-control is is learning to say no or learning to say not now to ourselves. Learning to say no to yourself, learning to say not now to yourself, chiefly so that you can pursue the important over the urgent. Learning to say no or not now to ourselves so that we can pursue the important over the urgent. Self-control is building up some protective walls around ourselves, around our worst inclinations, around our worst impulses. Now, sometimes we can confuse self-control with something that it's not. What it's not is the need to control everything. What it's not is a, a prideful willpower. The, again, the need to be in control of all things. The fruit of the Spirit is not the need to control everything. It's the realization that I can only really control myself. I've often, uh, in... Uh, if, if Dr. Bud and I, for instance, would be meeting in a counseling session with someone, I've often heard him use this expression uh, after it's described of all the things that are going wrong or, or the ways another person or situation is not being helpful. He will often ask, So let's suppose none of that changes. What are you going to do? Again, we cannot control everything, we can only control ourselves. So throughout the Bible, self-control is shown as being a mark of wisdom. Self-control is not only a mark of wisdom, but also a mark of spiritual maturity. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. In other words, there's a great strength in self-control. There's a great power in self-control. Sure, this person over here could conquer a whole city. That's very impressive. Then what are they going to do? Be in charge of the city? Did they really think through that part? A person with patience, a person with self-control can also accomplish great things. But a person with self-control, a person with patience, makes sure that first off they're going after the right things. Not just strength for its own sake or to show, look what I can do. But am I actually going after the right things? Am I I exerting my efforts on the right things? Throughout the New Testament, self-control is often found in a list of expectations of church elders and church leaders. Now you may hear that and go, well good, I'm not a church elder or church leader, so I don't have to be self-controlled. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is self-control is seen as a mark of spiritual maturity. Self-control is a realization that my ways are different than God's ways. My default setting is different than God's ways. And so as I'm learning to say yes to God, it often means I have to learn to say no to myself. And that's self-control. One of the major ways we say yes to God and no to ourselves is faithfulness. Is being faithful to the commitments that we have already made. But when you read the Bible, you'll find a lot about faithfulness. Often faithfulness is, is described as an attribute of God. So yes, we need to learn to be faithful. We need to learn to say yes to God, no to ourselves, honor the commitments we've made. But the Bible says first and foremost, faithfulness is an attribute of God. In fact, if you, if you do a Google search in a searchable Bible for faithfulness, you'll find that most of the examples happen in the Psalms which are songs of praise to God. I learned this when I actually did that exercise. You could do that exercise too to go the next level down on faithfulness. So let me read some Psalms here, some verses from Psalms, songs of worship to God. Psalm 36.5 says, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Psalm eighty six fifteen says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Recognizing who God is, what God has done, praising him for it, that he says slow to anger, he abounds in love and faithfulness. And then this one's a little more personal. This one says here's what God is like to you. Psalm one hundred seventeen two says, Great is his love towards us the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever praise the Lord great is his love towards us the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever praise the Lord great is the Lord's love towards you this verse says that when everything else in our life has faded away the faithfulness of God will still be there because the faithfulness of God endures forever and that's a reason To praise the Lord. Why does the Bible spend so much time focusing on God's faithfulness? Well, the reason for that is if you stand back and look at the broad arc of the story the Bible is telling, you will learn that it's a story about a promise. It's a story about a commitment. The fancy Bible word here is covenant. Say it with me at home. Covenant. I heard you. Very good. It's about a covenant. It's about a commitment. It's about a promise. God made a promise, a commitment, a covenant to Abraham and Sarah and said to them, you and your family will be my people and I will be your God. And so what we see playing out in the Bible is that commitment, that covenant that God made playing out in the family of Abraham and Sarah and their descendants, their descendants Their descendants. And then as the Bible continues to go along, we keep seeing people from outside of that family being brought into the covenant, being brought into the promise, being brought into the commitment. That happens throughout the Old Testament. And then we get to the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus, who lived and suffered and died, and never forget this part resurrected. Jesus blew the doors open on the covenant, on the commitment, on the promise, so that any person, so that you or I, even if we are not descendants of Abraham and Sarah, you and I can come and be part of God's covenant, God's people, God's promise that we can know God says to us, you will be my people and I will be your God. That's the whole arc of the Bible. Now, the problem is that people in the Bible kept messing up. People in the Bible kept leaving God's path to follow their own. People in the Bible kept being their own worst enemy. And so I'm told this still happens today, that we mess up, that we leave God's path to follow our own, that we can be our own worst enemy. And so we have to remember what story are we living in? How is our relationship with God structured? Is it a performance review? Are we on a 90-day renewable contract? And if we mess up, we're gone? No, our, our relationship with God is a covenant, is a commitment, is a promise. And so it's not about our merit. It's not about us being good enough. We get into the covenant, into the promise, into the commitment because of Jesus. And the strength of the promise, the strength of the commitment depends on God. It does not depend on us. And this is why the Bible says again and again and again, praise God that God is faithful, that God is reliably true to his word, that God honors the commitment that he has made. He honors his covenant. He honors his promise, even in the moments we don't deserve it. In fact, especially in the moments that we don't deserve it. That's why we praise God that he is faithful to his covenant, to his commitment, to his promise, that his love for you is deep, his love for me is deep, and his faithfulness endures forever. Now, if you go back and look at all the Psalms I referenced there, what you'll notice is that two words kept getting tied together. Do you remember what the words were? You have to go back and and go back like five minutes in your brain. In all the Psalms, the words faithfulness and love were held together. That God is loving and God is faithful. God is faithful and God is loving. His love uh, never ends. His faithfulness endures forever. Love and faithfulness are held together again and again and again. In other words, God's not just going through the motions of the covenant. God's not saying, well, I don't love them, but I need to be faithful because I've promised and I'm God. That's not how God is acting. God's faithfulness reinforces his love, and God's love leads him to be faithful. In other words, both are working together. The fruit of the Spirit all works together. God's love reinforces God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness reiterates his love. He's doing both at the same time and inviting us to do both at the same time so that the parts of the fruit of the spirit that don't sound s- super appealing when we first hear them, things like faithfulness or self-control, that they're, they're not as, uh, uh, I don't know, winsome to our cultural moment where things like love and peace and joy are, but it all works together. And so cultivating deeper faithfulness in our lives, deeper self-control in our lives actually helps us to grow in things like love and joy and peace. And we begin to experience a little more what God is like, that he can hold faithfulness and love together. And in fact, they reinforce each other. So let's think about this in our own lives. What does it mean? What does it look like to cultivate some faithfulness? And it's cultivating faithfulness to cultivate self-control. Well, let's just ask, what are some of the commitments we have made what commitments have you made? What commitments have I made? What, what do we need to say no to, or maybe not now to, to be able to honor those commitments? Where have we let the urgent take precedence over the important? And we need to learn to say no or not now to some things. So one commitment we've made if, if we're a Christian, one commitment we've made is to God. We've committed ourselves to God. Are there places where we need to say no to ourselves so that we can more prioritize that commitment? F- part of why I'm thrilled we're doing discovery courses this summer in such a unique moment is that one of the hungers I hear from a lot of folks is a desire to go deeper in their faith, but to do it with some other people. That's what these virtual discovery courses will allow for. Now you may not be like, you may not think I'm about to walk away from God, but are there places where the urgent has displaced the important of your relationship with God? That would be a place to to lean into the Holy Spirit, ask the Spirit to help you respond in self-control with faithfulness to honor the commitment you've made to God. We've made commitments to, uh, to a church family. If you're part of our church family, that's a commitment we've made. We've made commitments to other people. We've made commitments, the most uh, classic one is a marriage. A marriage is a commitment. And, and so being faithful to those vows that we've made is an important commitment that we have. And to be faithful to the vows, to love in plenty and in want, and sickness and in health, and joy and in sorrow. That, that's the sort of commitment that co- causes us to have to say no to ourselves sometimes. So that's an important commitment commitment? How can we lean into faithfulness or self-control to honor the commitment that we made in our marriage? I should just say a quick aside there and say sometimes people who are abusive will use that as an excuse. And they will say, as part of how they keep people in in an abusive relationship, they say, well, you need to honor your commitment to me. You need to be faithful to our marriage vows kind of disregarding the fact that abusing someone and neglecting someone is not keeping your marriage vows. And so if you find yourself or you know someone who's found themselves in a situation like that I, I would just encourage let's get that person to a place of physical safety and emotional safety but before we we move on from there let's start there and then we can can look at the at the next questions. But for most marriages there's not abuse, there's not neglect. How in the midst of those marriages do we continue to be faithful to the vows we've made to each other? And what we often find is that when we are in seasons where we've had to lean heavily on faithfulness or lean heavily on self-control, it actually deepens our love for the other person. Our love is strengthened as we grow in our faithfulness. Another place where faithfulness and self-control matter is in the area of, uh, of budgeting. I've I've told you this before, Mandy and I live on something, a budget method we call give, save, live, give, save, live. So before the year, we do it in a year, you can do it in a month, but we say this is what we want to give this year, this is what we want to save this year, this is what we want to live on this year. And so we try to give more than 10% because of what the scripture teaches. We try to save about 5, 10, 15% depending on on how the market's doing. And then we, we try to live on the rest. That's our commitment to each other. And that forces us to say no to ourselves sometimes. You may say, that sounds like a really boring way to live. And in fact, it is really boring. It's immensely boring. And it increases our joy and our peace. That that's not something we are constantly at each other's throat about. The last uh, illustration I'll make here is is something that I've I've been thinking a lot about. I imagine you've been thinking a lot about. And... um, it's more of a, of a more I don't know corporate way or collective way of thinking about faithfulness. Over these past weeks, we we've watched as the some of the greatest fears of people of color have been shown to be true. And and that's not like an abstract or hypothetical thing. Like that's people of color in our church family. That's people of color in churches that have been so eager to partner with us, Gethsemane Baptist and and Davidson Presbyterian. These kind of issues and conversations uh, and events can be challenging for folks like me with white skin because it forces us to deal with our own biases, our own prejudices, and deals with our own comfort, and often to deal with our own indifference. And there are certainly matters of justice that need to be talked about in all this, but as I've reflected on it, I've also wondered if there aren't matters of faithfulness that that might be something we can grab hold of. And here's what I mean. When I became a Christian or when you became a Christian or today or in the future you become a Christian, we're not just committing to Jesus, we're committing to Jesus' people. We're committing to God's family. We're committing to the covenant community. We're committing... to to the people of the promise, The, the Bible calls this the body of Christ, like a body, all working together. And when such a large part of the body is in such deep pain, the whole body feels it. And so this week I was reminded of, it's a gospel song from about 10 years ago. It's by a guy named Hezekiah Walker, and the song is called, I Need You to Survive. Uh, Hezekiah Walker, I need you to survive. I would commend it for your uh, listening. It's not complicated, but it's important. The song is about the love that Christians ought have for one another. Things like, stand with me, pray for me, I will pray for you, don't harm me with the words of your mouth. So in thinking about all, all that, it's just it's come to me that A deeper realization that our commitment to Jesus is also a commitment to Jesus' people. And when one part of the body hurts so deeply in this way, the whole body feels it. And so I'm, you know, laying in bed, as I do routinely, uh, thinking about, you know, trying to fall asleep. And I sort of get this thing like, you should reach out. Like deep in me, you should reach out to the, the, the pastors you know. You should reach out to the people you know uh, who, who are people of color. Uh, I'm saying Christian leaders, church leaders here in Davidson. And so then I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, is this me trying to get some woke points? Or like what's this coming out of? What, what I love about the fruit of the Spirit is it gives us a grid to run these things through. When you feel a conviction deep inside you, Is it leading you towards love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Because if it is, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And that stirring deep inside you may not just be you. It may be the Spirit speaking to you, changing, contorting your character into something more what it's supposed to be. And that's what I became convinced it was. And so I figured there's big questions out in our culture right now and questions of justice and all this, but I'm going to start my response as a response of faithfulness. And I'll just be the first to tell you, I was so caught up in the urgent. This whole ministry in a COVID setting is like a fire drill, a constant fire drill. It's like juggling in quicksand. You probably feel the same way. I had let the urgent of that displace the importance of the commitment I had made to these other ministers. And so... I, I had to own up to that and I had to reach out in faithfulness and say, I don't totally know how you feel, but I need you to, I, I do care. And I'm learning to, that, that, that there's some stuff in me that needs to change and I need to care more deeply, right? That it took me this long to even reach out. But again, that, that's the spirit trying to contort, move in some faithfulness in my life. And I wonder what that would look like for you to just be faithful to the commitments we've made, including faithful it's commitments we've made to other Christians, and especially in this tender tender and hard moment, Christians of color, which is the large majority of Christians. That what these, this is my last thought here, what, what these pandemics do, history tells us, is they rip apart the fabric of society. I wonder if this is an opportunity for the fabric of the body of the community of believers, the people of the covenant to come closer together, to be more unified. And and that probably means that some of us need to take some steps forward to some people we know and love or coming to learn how to love. So my question for you as I wrap up my part is how can you partner with the Holy Spirit in cultivating faithfulness and self-control in your life? How can you partner with the Holy Spirit cultivating faithfulness, and self-control in your life. And this is not about willpower. This is about being the Holy Spirit empowered, leaning into his strength to be true to the commitments we've made, to say yes to God, which often means saying no or not now to ourselves. And in the moments when your commitment to God falters, remember the words of Psalm 117. Great is his love towards you. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. So praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirred up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you that when everything else in our lives has faded away, your faithfulness will still endure. And Lord, there are some parts of our lives we need to fade away. Some parts of our character we want to fade away. Some situations we're in we want to fade away. And Lord, there are things that we will do to ourselves or others that will cause us to lose some things that we love. But when it all fades away, you are still faithful. And so I praise you for that. I pray that our church family will praise you for that. I pray you would strengthen us to be people of greater faithfulness, greater saying yes to you, no to ourselves, honoring the commitments we've made. And Lord, when we fall short of that, I pray we will run back to your arms find you ever faithful and remind us that you are our God we are your people and that's because of Jesus not because of our own hard work we pray all this in his precious name Amen Amen well it's that time of the service where we would collect offering and prayer requests please let us know to pray for you at DavidsonPrayer at LakeForest.org and any financial gifts can go to lakeforest.org give or you can mail them to our church office or bring them by our church office. We love you guys. Let's worship together.